0: Today's message is called Lessons from Harvest. Lessons from Harvest. Uh, and at one summer, uh, at, while I was at university, I got the chance to work on uh, a farm for a few weeks. Uh, it was with a crew at pulling in hops at harvest time. Uh, and the picture, hopefully you can see there, is of a hop garden. Now, hops are used to give flavor to beer. Uh, my job was to push all the hop flowers... That the harvesting team gathered into massive ovens uh, and then dry them off and then pull them all out again uh, after they were dry. I then had to bale them up uh, with cloth and stitch the bales together uh, with a massive needle and thread. And uh, and then I put the farm stamp on the side of the bale. I had to cycle in to the farm at 7am in the morning and then cycle home again late at night. And this went on for about two months ...as we brought the hop harvest in. And although it was very, very hard work, it was very satisfying... ...and something I was really glad to have been a part of. The Bible says a lot about harvest. It's the season uh, in which there is an abundance of food... ...and the celebration of God's provision on the earth. Harvest in the Bible is also often a picture of spiritual health and maturity. And it carries this kind of deep significance uh, as a time of plenty uh, and abundance... Now, in the Old Testament, Israel celebrated the harvest with annual feasts. And it was often seen as God's reward for spiritual obedience among the people. And in the Gospels, in the New Testament, we find that Jesus teaches a number of parables that explore sowing and growing and harvest and fruitfulness as illustrations about the kingdom of God. So, as I've reflected and prayed and worked on this message I believe that God has given me three principles or lessons about harvest that He would like us all to receive today. And my hope and prayer is that you'd find these lessons straightforward, helpful, and encouraging wherever you are at in your life. Lesson number one. First lesson. The very first lesson from harvest that stands out above all the others is work hard. Work hard. Harvest can only be achieved through hard work. Hard work is a requirement for all people wanting to see any kind of harvest, whether that's in farming uh, or whether we're talking spiritually or for really kind of anything, in any walk of life for that matter. You know, many years ago, after my hop drying job, when Chloe and I were first married, uh, we used to live on a street uh, that was an access route for uh, some local farms. And every July, August, and September, We'd have the windows open at night because it was so hot, uh, or it'd be really warm, and we'd hear those really large tractors, you know, not just the, the normal tractors, but the real big tractors, going past pretty much all night, every night, as the farmers gathered in their wheat harvest from all the fields in the surrounding countryside. Just as farmers have to work really, really hard to achieve their harvest, all harvests happen because of the hard work of people. Now, I had a quick troll through the internet uh, this week for some examples of hard work to share with you, and some of the work that has been done by people is just mind-boggling in terms of of the quantity of effort that they've put in. Listen to some of these. It took Tolkien 12 years to write The Lord of the Rings, from 1937 to 1949. Some of you have taken that long to read it, haven't you? Yep. (laughs) Nick Park's first feature film, featuring Wallace and Gromit, which is called A Grand Day Out, and which only takes you 24 minutes to watch, took him seven years to make. Michelangelo took two years to carve the Statue of David. Dashrath uh, uh, Manji from Bihar in India carved a path 360 feet long, 30 feet wide, and 25 deep, at 25 feet deep, to shorten the distance from his local village to the city from 34 miles down to 9 miles. He was led to do it because his wife died after not being able to get access to medical attention quickly enough following a fall. Now, what was remarkable and what earned him the nickname Mountain Man and national fame across India was that it took him 22 years just using a hammer and a chisel. So Steve Redgrave applied himself to rowing so hard that he won five gold medals in five consecutive Olympic Games. Some of Britain's national newspapers ran a great story back in 2016 that caught my eye. Uh, it was on this West Midlands policeman called Cornell Barnes, who spent 26 years covering an estimated 50,000 miles on foot patrol and making around 1,300 arrests. He told reporters that he got through three good pairs of shoes every year. He was awarded an MBE by the Queen for his services to policing. Now, there's a sociologist called Malcolm Gladwell, and he's done a study on the connection between hard work and the kind of results that classify you as an expert. And he explains that it takes about 10,000 hours of practice to become an expert in your field. He identified top violinists and grandmaster chess players as among those people who would put in those kinds of hours or more to attain these incredible results. Now, I don't think that my own achievements quite match these remarkable feats or these incredible heights. But if I look back over my life, I can definitely agree that nearly all the points of major achievement have been accompanied by a lot of personal effort and hard work. When I was at school, I didn't really understand what proper hard work meant until, until my A-levels, if I'm honest. I, I remember my mum going along to a parents' evening and my Latin teacher opening, my Latin teachers opening words to her, uh, being, aha, good evening, Mrs. Whittam. What are we going to do with this idle hound of a son of yours? For those of you where English is not your first language, idle hound simply means lazy dog. But somewhere, in the transition from O-levels to A-levels, I suddenly worked out that hard work made a massive difference to the results that I got. So much so that I completely surprised my teachers and my parents with a good set of A-level results. I think I also realized that hard work was a key factor in the professional people that I saw around me who did well. When I looked around at people reaping a personal harvest in whatever field that was, the common factor was... Hard work. Uh, I worked for a, break, uh, for a bakery as a summer job at uh, one time, and I really admired the uh, head baker who was a, a guy called Neil. And he was in every day at 4.30 a.m., and he would work solidly without stopping until 1 p.m. He had a 3-series BMW with an incredibly loud stereo system. And I thought to myself, hard work equals BMW with a nice sound system. <laughs> now, I haven't quite made it to the BMW, but I do understand that hard work is absolutely key to creating any kind of harvest. The Bible's quite clear on our need to work really hard. Proverbs 6, 6 to 11 says this, Take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. Learn from their ways and become wise. Though they have no prince no gov- or governor or ruler to make them work, they labor hard all summer, gathering food for the winter. But you, lazy bones, how long will you sleep? When will you wake up? A little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest? Then poverty will pounce on you like a bandit. Scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. In Acts 18, it tells us that the Apostle Paul was a tent maker, and in 2 Thessalonians 3, he paid for his own food from, it says he pays for his own food from his own earnings. He also said in Thessalonians that people who don't work shouldn't eat. i will go down well. That command in the Old Testament that people should leave the edges of their fields and vineyards unharvested so that the poor can gather food is a lovely picture of the abundance uh, at harvest for all that God has in mind. But have you noticed that the poor are still expected to do the gathering of the food? I personally believe there's a little lesson in there from God, which is that it's not kind to people's dignity in the long run that they do nothing towards their own upkeep. So the first and the largest lesson I want to teach this morning, both biblically and also from direct experience, is that all forms of harvest, whether they be spiritual, practical, professional, or personal, are accompanied by substantial human effort. If we think we can expect harvest without that effort, we are being completely unrealistic. Lesson number two from harvest, put in. I strongly believe that the level of personal harvest from any aspect of your life is also greatly dependent upon what you put in. Now, when I got my first car, I would try and get away with putting as little petrol in it as possible. Anyone identify with that? I would be a fiver here, a tenner there, and I would try and make it last as long as I could. I became an expert at every little nuance of the fuel gauge. I learned that sometimes it looked a little more full than it really was when I was parked on a slope. I knew that if I zigzagged very slightly when driving along, when nobody was about, I hasten to add, that I could swish whatever was left in the tank towards the fuel line. (laughs) But that, that was also a little risky because if there was any dirt in the fuel, the car might start misfiring. Quite a few times I ran right out of petrol and had to walk miles by a fuel can buy some petrol, then walk miles back. And after that, I started carrying around a spare petrol can with fuel in it. Then one time, one of my friend's dads said to me straight, you've got to put fuel in your car if you want to get somewhere, Nick. You need straight wisdom like that when you're 18, don't you? After that, I started just filling it properly and also planning the rest of my money better and also going to the petrol station uh, in plenty of time. An absolutely key principle or lesson from Harvest is this. If you don't put in, you won't see harvest. Now, putting in is slightly different from hard work, although both are closely related. I believe putting in is to do with quality and content, whereas hard work is to do with effort and sometimes the duration required. Let me share with you a couple of true parallel stories about putting in, drawn from my own experience as a pastor. Now, to preserve people's integrity, these are instances not drawn from my time here at BCC although I'm sure you'll be able to think of some equivalent examples from your own situations or your own stories. The first story is about an older gent uh, who, uh, that I once knew who only very occasionally came to church. Uh, we'll call him Mike, although that's not his real name. Now, Mike was always very, very busy pursuing his business interests, and he didn't have much time to uh, attend church or build close friendships. But one day, he got some bad news. A member of his family died suddenly. And the news devastated him. And quite understandably, Mike suddenly started coming to church a whole lot more, leaning into God for help and support and drawing on the fellowship he was able to find around him. Now, of course, people at church were kind and compassionate, but it was harder for people to be caring in a meaningful way towards Mike because they simply knew him less well. They'd simply received less time or input from Mike. Now, the second story is about a seasoned children's worker who put in lots into her children's ministry every month at church. This was a lady who knew a lot of children in her church, and she was also known and valued for her contribution among her children's worker colleagues. She also had a lot of friends in church, uh, and uh, we'll call this lady Jane, although again, that's not her real name. When Jane was not in kids' ministry on a Sunday, she was in the congregation, connecting with her friends and family, enjoying the worship, sometimes giving testimonies, joining in, and just receiving from God. Jane was much, much better known to most people at the church than Mike. Jane was then unfortunately taken ill, and she had to spend a couple of months out of the children's work, although she came to church whenever she could. Now, she eventually made a great recovery, and she went back to doing what she was doing. Mike also coped with the grief and the loss in his family well enough in the fullness of time. What was interesting to me about these two stories was that they occurred at the same time, quite by chance, in parallel. And I spotted that there was a difference in the quality of the general care that each person received from the church community, which was based on one single factor alone. This factor was that the people at church simply didn't know Mike as well as Jane. They didn't know him as well, and this was largely because he hadn't put much in. He just hadn't. It wasn't because Mike didn't work hard. Far from it. And both of them got compassion and kindness and support, and people had just as kind a heart towards Mike as they did to Jane. But it was Jane who got a handmade card from all the children and lots of visits from the people in the congregation who knew her. Now, the children wouldn't have refused to make Mike a card or anything like that. It just didn't come up as something that they would have even considered for him because he was simply less known or involved. The treatment of Mike is not morally worse than the treatment of Jane. It's, It's just that people care more strongly when there is a deeper connection in place. If you're someone who puts in, there are some things that you harvest later without ever realizing that you already sowed for it earlier. Some of us live always trying to avoid putting in or always counting the cost of putting in. And continually assessing what something costs you can lead to a cynical mindset. It really can. People sense it on you somehow as well and they try and avoid you about it. Someone once said, A cynic is a person who knows the price of everything and the value of nothing. The point I'm making here is that the quality of the harvest we all seek from our lives is directly proportional to the quality we put in. In the parable of the prodigal son, the younger son takes out and takes out and takes out and takes out until there's nothing left. And he operates his life down to the slimmest margin and it puts him in a really dangerous position. When you are willing to put in, you are much more likely to get a better harvest back, no matter what sphere of life this takes place in. Aesop's fable of the goose and the golden eggs is the, f- is the perfect illustration of what it means if we, st- if we stop putting in. One day, a farmer goes to uh, the nest of his only goose, and he finds a glittering golden egg sitting there. And at first, he thinks it's a trick, and he's about to chuck it away. Um, and instead, he decides he's going to go and get it valued. And he's amazed to discover that the egg is pure gold of the highest quality, and it's worth lots of money. And so he sells the egg, and he gets the money. And the following week, the goose, laid, goose, the goose lays another golden egg. The farmer takes it to be valued again, and it's just the same as before. It's worth lots of money. This goes on for several months, and the farmer stops being so poor. In fact, he becomes fabulously wealthy, and it all seems too good to be true. But as the farmer's wealth grows, so does his impatience and his greed. And he gets more and more fed up with having to wait a week before the next golden egg becomes available. So he decides to kill the goose and get all the eggs at once. But of course, when he opens up the dead goose, there's no golden eggs inside. And then there are now also no means of getting any more. If we adopt a pattern of life that only focuses on getting the golden eggs without ever nurturing or caring for the goose that lays them, we will eventually run out of golden eggs. The inauguration of John F. Kennedy as the 35th President of the United States was held on Friday, the 20th of January, 1961, in Washington, D.C. And he very famously made this statement as part of that first opening speech. And so... My fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. The Apostle Paul said something very similar in his second letter to the Corinthians. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. I suspect that a lot of us need a timely reminder of, the co- of a core principle of harvest, which is that if we don't put in, we're not going to get out. The better the content that you put in, the richer and more rewarding the harvest will be. You put more into your family, your family will be all the better for it. Put more into your career, your professional life, your salary and your prospects will be all the better for it. Put more into your personal health and fitness and you will live more healthily and for longer. Put more into your savings and you can spend more on holiday or, or in retirement. Put more into your friendships and the more friends you will have and the better quality of social life you will enjoy. Put more into your church your spiritual development will be deeper and richer and your church will be, will be a better place to be. Not just for you, but for everyone as a result. Put more into your ministry and that kingdom fruitfulness that we all say we would love to see in our lives and in our church. It will actually start to take shape. Here at BCC, we offer a fantastic online course called The Fruitful Life, which is all about personal effectiveness for God's kingdom, which you can take all online in your own time i'm delighted to say that we had our first completion of the whole course just recently and there are several other people really close behind and nearing completion themselves but to get something out of that course you do have to actually do it you have to put in now perhaps you're someone who does already put in a lot and your need is now to well how do i balance all these different things but what i'd say to you is well done you for being someone who puts in Well done for being someone who puts in. Be a person who puts in strongly in all areas of your life, and you will be literally amazed at the variety and richness of the harvest that you will see appearing everywhere. So the first lesson from harvest that stands out above all the others is that harvest is only going to get achieved through hard work. The second lesson is that harvest in any aspect of your life is greatly dependent on what you put in. Third lesson of harvest, keep trying. Keep trying. Now, I want you to picture this scene with me for a minute. Um, I'm in a stairwell uh, outside an examination room, along with a lots of other students, and I'm waiting to go into an exam. Hands up, those of you here who've been into an exam, you've been waiting outside the room. Yeah, a lot of us have been in that situation. In my last year of Bible college, um, I'm, it's, it's in that last year, and I'm about to sit a three-hour paper called Church and Society set by and marked by a lecturer and speaker called Malcolm Duncan. Malcolm was, in fact, due to be here yesterday, but the snow pulled the Enable Conference uh, off. But he he was going to be here. He was my lecturer then. And for this paper, I have revised for four essays, three that I'm pretty sure are going to come up, and one as a contingency, just in case the other three questions are a bit weird or too difficult. Now, I'm pretty nervous before this exam, but I also know I'm as ready as I'm going to be. And as I'm standing there in in this queue with my friends, and we're all waiting to go into this uh, exam, uh, somebody further back down the queue calls up the stairs to me, and he says this, I wish I had your brain for the next three hours. (laughs) Now that's a kind compliment to receive. And I smiled, but my first thought was, I'm not so sure it's all about the brain, I think it's more about the hard work. I recall feeling that if my friend had just put in some hard work, he'd be in a similar position to me. But then I remembered something. It wasn't always like that with me. Prior to this exam, I'd gone into way too many exams, not having done the preparation that was needed. And then you have to sit there with this truly horrible exposed feeling of simply not having worked hard enough and not having learned enough to do well. I remember exams way back at school where I'd flopped and I'd got truly awful marks, like 27%. Uh, and I remember staying up late at night at university the first time I studied not 10 years back but 30 years back before that in 1988 and trying to cram enough preparation to pull off three essays in three hours the next day from a standing start the night before it's just not going to happen is it I also remember that awkward joking amongst us just before the exam coming mainly from those let's face it who simply hadn't worked hard enough it's the quiet ones you want to watch in in an exam queue They've, they've done the work haven't they Then there'd be the pain and shame of knowing uh, that I'd delivered a really weak paper, and sure enough, the killer blow would come when the low marks were announced, confirming that forever, Nick Whittam had not bothered enough. And I found myself realizing that the reason I was standing on the stairs, well prepared and ready to go this time around, 20 years later, at Bible College in 2008, was that I'd learned my lesson, and I'd changed my ways. Some lessons take us such a long time to learn But when we finally learn them, we reap a far greater harvest than the first time around. This morning, I believe I have a simple and yet at the same time a great insight to share with us all today from the Lord about the parable of the sower. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read the parable of the sower, I panic slightly. I read the parable and I think, if that seed doesn't get into the good soil, it's a goner. What a waste. No growth, no multiplication, no crop, no nutrition. Am I the right soil? Please tell me I'm the right soil, Lord. I was reading the parable again recently, and I felt the Holy Spirit nudge me and say, yes, it's great to have a good sense of urgency, but I mustn't panic because, and you need to listen to this now, the sower visits over and over and over again, year after year after year. Every spring, the sower goes out to plant seed. And if we have watched seeds fall and go to waste a few times, but then we take action to change that, there is no reason that a harvest cannot follow. In other words, if seed fell one year on us, and we were the trodden down soil of the path, or we were the shallow soil of the rocky areas, or we were the choked up soil of the thorn bushes, then we could work on the soil of ourselves so that in another year, our soil is in better condition. Why would Jesus teach the parable of the sower if by the time we hear it, the soil we are in is a done deal with no hope of change or another chance. Why would he teach that? He wouldn't do that to us. In fact, I'd like to turn it around the other way and I'd like to say watching a process not worked out or not work out as we really hoped it would have done can sometimes be our greatest teacher. The book of Jonah maps this out for us, doesn't it? Jonah runs the other way first but then he actually does do what he was called to do after he's made his initial mistake jesus teaches this principle in another parable says this but what do you think about this a man with two sons told the older boy son go out and work in the vineyard today the son answered no i won't go but later he changed his mind and he went anyway then the father told the other son you go and he said yes sir i will but he didn't go which of the two obeyed their father they replied the first I feel really quite strongly that there are people in this room this morning who need to hear that God is a God who gives multiple chances for them to become effective in the ways that they truly desire. There are things where you have hoped and prayed and worked and tried, and harvest has just not happened in the way you wanted it to. It passed you by. Well, listen to what the Lord promises us about the nature of time. After the dramatic disaster of the flood, remember the flood way back in Genesis, the Lord puts a rainbow in the sky, and he sets out his covenant agreement about how things would work from that point forwards. Genesis 8.22 says this, as long as the earth remains, there will be planting and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night. In other words, there is a grace from God about the patterns and the amount of time in which we can get to learn to create a better harvest. We get further chances to have another go and do better next time round. Now, I know we have to hold that in a healthy tension with the sense of urgency about getting on with things and seizing the day and making the most of every opportunity. Those are all true as well. But the seasons do come round over and over and over again, and each one offers a chance of harvest. I caught Chris Evans recently saying on Radio 2 about someone else's controversial behaviour. Oh, I could say a few things about that. But I'm not going to. We'll just leave it. And I thought, you've matured, Chris. In the old days, you'd have just said what you thought and got into hot water. And now, you've become a little more wise. Now, you're going to reap a harvest of less trouble and less needless friction and more harmony and more kindness. And so, my key insight from harvest is that harvest comes around again and again and again, and that we do get repeated opportunities to get things right. And the third lesson from harvest that goes with that this morning is keep trying. Just as the farmer goes out year after year and puts in all that hard work, so too we will get opportunities that roll around again and again. We must not be caught up in the regrets about last season but we must roll up our sleeves and get on with this season, but perhaps change things around so we do something differently. Always hoping for the same results, sorry, always hoping for different results, but doing the same thing is not gonna work. To get different results, we have to be prepared to make some changes in what we do. The underlying principle is if you feel you have wasted previous harvest opportunities, then try again and make the most of next time, but change some things around. Equally, another danger lying in the grace of the repeated seasons given to us by God is if we tell ourselves that, is, is, sorry is when we tell ourselves that all of our previous attempts have not been fruitful, and we're just never going to be fruitful in that area again. That's not true. Don't say that to yourself. Listen to this list of famous people who have repeat who had repeated and major failures in many of the seasons before the season came when their soil was really ready for them to go places and see a harvest Henry Ford's first five businesses failed and they left him broke Thomas Edison attempted the invention of the light bulb a thousand times before he hit on a design that worked Winston Churchill got defeated in every single election for public office until the age of 62 the thriller writer Stephen King's first novel got rejected 30 times The artist, Vincent Van Gogh, painted just over 800 paintings during his life, but only managed to sell one, and that was to a friend for a very small amount of money. Film director Steven Spielberg was rejected from the University of Southern California School of Theatre, Film and Television three times. The author, Jack London's first story, received 600 rejection slips. After one of their first recording contract auditions, the Beatles were told, we don't like your sound and guitar music is on the way out. The basketball player, Michael Jordan, got dropped from his high school basketball team. Dr. Seuss, do you remember him? The cat in the hat and all that? His first book got rejected by 27 different publishers. Albert Einstein did not speak until he was four years old and did not read until he was seven. His parents thought he was subnormal. And one of his teachers described him as mentally slow and unsociable and adrift forever in foolish dreams. So your Chiro Honda was turned down by Toyota Motor Corporation after interviewing for a job as an engineer and he was left out of work for quite some time. Fred Smith, the founder of Federal Express received a C on his college paper detailing uh, detailing his idea for a reliable overnight delivery service. His professor at Yale uh, told him, well Fred, the concept is interesting and well-formed, but in order to earn better marks than a C grade your ideas also have to be feasible. Colonel Sanders of Kentucky Fried Chicken fame had a really hard time selling his chicken at first. In fact, his famous secret chicken recipe was rejected over a thousand times before a restaurant accepted it. Let's all pray that DHL learns how to deliver fresh chicken for KFC quicker than the colonel got his recipe accepted. Okay, I set myself up there, sorry. Whatever your harvestless seasons were, pick yourself up. Get yourself going and have another go. Try a new approach because in the course of a lifetime, God brings the seasons round again and again and again. Keep trying. Don't give up. Just as the worship team return and begin to to play, let me appeal to you to keep trying in the new seasons God has lying ahead for you. There are new chances for harvest that he has in store. All you single people on the lookout for someone to marry, start connecting into some new circles. Start mixing with some new people. Keep trying. Don't give up. All you students with some poor results in the background, get with your teachers or tutors. Ask for some feedback to make your results better. Rethink your approach to your studies. Keep trying. Don't give up. All you people in workplaces worried about your performance or your job security, go and chat with your boss or your line manager and ask ask how you can be more effective for them. Really listen to what they have to say. And if they can give you some good advice on how you can become more effective, then act on it. Keep trying. Don't give up. All you people without work, make sure you keep on applying for as many positions as possible. Make it your job to apply for jobs until you get a job. Keep trying. Don't give up. All you parents tearing your hair out about how to raise your children without going insane, get alongside a family or or, or two who have kids a bit older than than yours and ask how they coped. Keep trying. Don't give up. All of you older people who have been praying for years for the prodigals in your family or something that hasn't worked out, keep on praying. Keep on building bridges. Keep on offering reconciliation and connection. Keep on trying. Don't give up. All of us. All of us, all of us who have slipped morally, even if it's just a little bit, even if it's just in the interior landscape of our thoughts and imaginations, get before the Lord, tell him you're sorry, and ask for his strength in living a righteous life. His forgiveness is new every morning. Yeah. Keep trying, don't give up. All of you who have a, tra- a dream to do something, significant or amazing or unusual or something perhaps that scares you witless with your life hang on to that dream keep trying don't give up let's all stand let's all stand you know what perhaps if you're someone who is connected with the idea of God has the grace to give me lots of seasons and I want to try again at something. While we worship, why don't you just come down to the front and stand before the altar and say, God, I'm going to give you that new season. I'm going to give you that next time that I try. And I, I know that there's lots of us in here who will identify with that. Why don't you just come and do business with him and say, Lord, yeah, there's a whole string of things that weren't so great in the past. But there's a new season coming and I want to get that harvest right. I want to see some harvest. I'm prepared to change some things would you give me another chance this time around? Let's sing for a bit and just come down to the front and we'll, we'll, we'll pray for you a bit more.